Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs, your hobby content alternative. I don't know about you, but I think I'm addicted to the NBA and what's happening in the market. I am having a hard time focusing on everything else. It has been absolutely insane. Uh, man, TJ Warren, first time a local guy has just blown up. I think one thing I've been talking about across my social media channels is that this guy has just been undervalued for his career and his cards, and it is a situation that that he has been basically the primary scoring option for a very good Pacers team the entire year, but has been overlooked. He was overlooked for me. I've been going all in and deep on Aaron Holiday. I didn't necessarily look at Warren. I bought a bunch of Warren in the first quarter and then in the second quarter and then another one in the third while this was all unfolding and then saw the cards double after that. So that is to let everyone know that there is opportunity in the reactive market to also see gains, which just shows you how absolutely insane this hobby is. And I think it's totally fun and there's so much opportunity. And everything is moving so damn quickly. I think the one thing I want to call out is because I'm watching every game, because I am very focused in the market and I'm taking notes and I'm building analysis and talking about different players and opportunities and sharing my perspective. It's really hard to get that real-time insight in between these two episodes and with the delay and production and all of that. I will always be talking about the NBA and what's happening in the playoffs. I'm going to look at it more from a macro perspective moving forward on the Stacking Slabs podcast. I'll be talking more. I'll get in and talk about players and get specific when I can. But I'm going to use IGTV and Instagram Live as a way to just share quick hits. I have been doing it the last couple of days. I don't know if I'm going to be doing it daily or if I'm going to be doing it every other day. It's I think when I see something and it inspires me to jump on and talk about it, you can find that content on my Instagram account. I hopped on as I record this, I hopped on this morning to give my thoughts on Cameron Johnson and share my perspective on what I like about him and what I have seen. That's the type of stuff that if you're just watching the game and you can begin to form opinions on guys like him. And the punchline was, if you don't like the upcoming rookie class, you get the opportunity in the bubble and before the playoffs to look at guys like Cameron Johnson and start investing in those guys. To me, I think Cameron Johnson is a hold. I really like everything that I've seen from him. I love the confidence he has in his shot, and I think he's a really good fit for that Phoenix defense. So this year's rookie class, loaded. If you don't like next year's rookie class so much, start taking uh, note and paying attention to some of these guys that are playing ball. I said this earlier on the recording that if you saw that one of the upcoming rookies, if you could forecast that they were going to have a double-double and go 50% from the three-point line and their prisms was under $10, you'd probably buy that card. And so we're seeing that in action in real time as we watch games from inside the bubble. So definitely pay attention to the bubble. If you want to hear my thoughts on what I'm seeing, I'm going to be posting those outside of these episodes on Instagram. So check out the feed. You don't need to be live for it. I'm going to put everything on my feed and I'm going to put it in my stories. So definitely follow me there if you haven't already. And if you want to jump on it live, I'll probably be doing those in the morning. I'm definitely open to field some conversations. You all know I love going back and forth. All right, let's talk about this episode. So I am really, really pumped, speaking of Instagram, to talk to one of my favorite accounts, Nick from New England Pieces. The Wednesday episode, I talk about evolving my process and figuring out how I can start funding my grading through card sales and start to increase the volume of my current operation. I think the first person I thought of was New England Pieces. He's been an account on TikTok and Instagram that I've been following ever since I've been back in the hobby. 
And I reached out to him and he was like, absolutely. I love talking about what I do and sharing my perspective and I'm happy to help people. So I inevitably was like, please come on my show. We're going to record an episode and we'll chop it up on Friday. I had a blast learning from him. I know you will too. If you have any, if you're looking for feedback on grading, submitting, selling, you do not want to not listen to this conversation. It is awesome. And I had a ton of fun doing it. So sit back, relax, grab a bank ski if you got one, or a water, whatever you like. Hydration is important. But enjoy this episode and take it easy. All right, everyone. Welcome back to a new Hobby Hustle Friday conversation. I have been loving these recently. I Ever since I've been doing these, I've learned so much from the guests. I specifically reached out to today's guest because of the evolution I'm going through in the hobby and specifically with my process. I touched on that a little bit on the Wednesday episode, but I reached out to Nick and Nick is at New England Pieces. I am sure if you're listening to Stacking Slabs, you've come across his TikTok account or his Instagram account. I have been monitoring and observing his process and this is the first time we're talking, so I have a ton of questions and I am excited to learn. But first, Nick, welcome to Stacking Slabs. How are you doing today? Hello, Brett. Hello, Stacking Slabs audience. It's a pleasure to be here today talking with you guys. Awesome. And I got to ask you first, so I think it, I'm very jealous in following your TikTok and you do a lot of mail days, which are fun. And the view of your mail days. You're looking out in the water and it looks gorgeous always. I believe you're in Rhode Island. Tell me about your current living situation and what you're working with there because it's quite impressive. So I'm in Rhode Island, based in Rhode Island my whole life. And yeah, my TikTok, I like having the backdrop of the water and my backyard is the water. So, you know, it's very different, it's nice scenery and, you know, it gives... You know, I feel like you're outside with me watching me opening up mail and showing off cards. It's kind of like you're in my backyard and we're talking about cards and you're seeing what I got in mail. It's kind of like a outdoor hobby shop experience, you know, like showing everybody your cards, what you picked up, you know, that's always fun to see. Definitely. And it's certainly unique and it's being on the East Coast, I think as a Midwesterner, that's something during this time of being cooped up in our homes, I think is something I can live vicariously through your TikTok account, um, which is fun. And I'm guessing that based on your handle, you would be a fan of uh, the all the New England sports team. Would that be accurate? Yeah, I'm a fan of everybody. I'm predominantly Patriots and Celtics. You know, I always want to tune in to watch the Celtics and the Red Sox. Now that sports are back, I've been tuning in a lot before. I really wasn't, you know, baseball. The, the timing is kind of long and, you know, it's better to just watch it on Sports Center, but of course, love all the sports and you know, even learning about other sports like soccer and expanding horizons, especially during quarantine, you know, doesn't hurt. Totally. And so, although it pains me because a lot of this, as a Colts fan, I was impacted by, but <laughs> you got to talk to me about what life was like, you know, in the Tom Brady era and winning all those Super Bowls as a fan. Was it something you took for granted because it was just so routine or were each of those moments special to you as a fan? I would say for me, I was, I'm pretty young. I'm close to being 25 at the moment. But before the Patriots had Tom Brady and Drew Bledsoe, they, they were kind of like the Cleveland Browns of the NFL. And, you know, the mid early 2000s when they just you know they had Belichick and Brady and Dion Branch and Venetary like that's the prime of the Patriots dynasty and you know like even small things like the fans love it here people would you know I think yesterday was Tom Brady's birthday it might have been today but they used to like have massive crowds at training camp and they would sign birthday cards they would even bring in like a pet goat for uh, like a playpen for kids you know Everybody loves the team. Everybody's passionate. They'll wait to go inside to training camp. And that's, I kind of, that's what I kind of gravitate to. I never really went to a Patriots game, but I went to training camp. And you no, know, just everybody was passionate. And they always wanted to see their players win. And that's like the mentality here. Like even with the sports talk radio, like people, they're on the teams. And, you know, they just want what's best for the team pretty much up here. 
Totally. And were you able to recover from the exit of Tom Brady? Are you kind of like, thanks for the memories, wish you the best? What's your mentality as you kind of move forward as a New England Patriots fan? I would say I'm certainly thankful for the the years he gave. And, you know, it's 2020, he's been in the league 20 years, and he really hasn't declined at all. But I think the timing was right for his exit. And, you know, it kind of sucks how he got Gronk to go with them. And, you know, (laughs) they had that leveraged. But, I mean, Cam Newton's a good, very good quarterback. And, you know, the prospect of having Stidham is great. And now there's another storyline of with guys opting out, you know, tanking for Trevor and stuff like that. So there's a lot of open options for the team, which is always good for speculation. Yeah, my mentality is I've spent a lot of time watching football and, you know, for the the bulk majority of last season, the New England Patriots had one of the most dominant defenses that, you know, we had seen in some time. So I think from a outsider's perspective, I think, you know, that defense is pretty set and sound and the question mark is, you know, the Cam Newton or Jarrett Stidham. And I know the cards, the market on their cards have changed quite a bit. And so that's interesting. I guess, what if, what have your observations been on in the card market from when the Patriots didn't draft anyone and then it seemed like Stidham's cards took a bump and then all of a sudden they signed Cam and Cam's cards went off. What was your perspective as just a fan looking at those trends and those card prices going up and down. And then before we jump into just more sports cards, I'm curious, do you think this is Cam's job to lose or does Stidham have a chance to to take it? So card prices, I would say that, you know, everybody, they didn't really have Cam Newton pegged for like the Patriots job because, you know, Cam wanted money and Cam wanted, he wanted the job like wherever he went. So if that wasn't like Cam's motto and, you know, his, I guess, way of wanting to like be a quarterback for a team, You could have had the speculation like Andy Dalton to the Patriots and stuff like that. So people really weren't pegging Cam Newton for a team anywhere specific. So that's why his stuff was kind of like idly just at prices where they they were prior to, you know, announcements or even any other free agency speculation. So that's where Stidham kind of, you know, he got the, I guess, the call from the hobby that, you know, this is going to be Tom Brady's successor. And it's better to have something than nothing. So you would see prices of contenders and prism rookies. Prism rookies kind of were flat, but contenders, I saw that card move, specifically variations. And I know those cards were trending upwards and people would go after the contenders. And some of the NTRPAs I noticed move, especially if they had more than two colors. But in terms of the job, I would believe that I think is going to be a competition because Belichick they'll have Newton and Stidham and Hoyer all in the same kind of room. And they're not just going to come out and just say, okay, it's going to be Jared's team. It's going to be Cam's team. I think they're going to evaluate what they have. And there's always this possibility of Belichick trading Cam, but I don't see that, you know, if it's like a Demarius Thomas kind of thing, which happened last year where Bill brought him in and they trade him for a fourth round pick. But <laughs> I don't see them doing that to Cam. I mean, I would kind of look bad in the locker room and, you know, signing him and just trading him off within a year. So I think Cam will be the quarterback. And I think if he doesn't perform well, which I don't believe will happen, I believe he'll do, he'll do fine. And I just don't think I could, I don't think I could see Stidham stepping in over Cam, despite him having a year in the system and, you know, the relevance, not relevance with the, the coaching staff, you know, I, there's been rumors about him going to Texas in the off season, he wasn't really putting in work with the playbook. That's a kind of a rumor, but I don't know. But I think the job is Cam's, and I don't really think he's going to lose it, you know, anytime soon. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think, I don't know, as a just someone who got into Jared Stidham a little bit before, even before the draft, I was buying some of his cards just because I believed in Belichick and his ability to, you know, I valued the year under Brady. I valued yeah. Belichick and his history with quarterbacks. So I think my perspective was, hey, you got these Stidham cards. Let's just sit on them for a little bit and see what happens. But I'm kind of with you there. I think it's it's Cam's job to lose, but it'll be interesting. With Tom Brady not there, I feel like it, anything's possible. And that's kind of the exciting part about just player transitions and then card opportunities. 
So on your profile, it says you've been collecting since 2005 and been grading since 2012. Maybe talk to us a little bit about just how you got started in the hobby and collecting and then how it formed into what you're currently doing today in your operation. So I really first started with Pokemon cards and, you know, going to, I don't know if Target was even around. I don't know. I didn't know I got them at like bookstores and packs from there. My parents would buy me packs. And then it morphed into cards around then. I would open up Blasters in 2005. So like 05 to 07 was mainly like retail stuff, you know, going to Target and Walmart, get Blasters and, you know, get acquainted with the hobby that way. Then I know 07, 2007 Bowman Draft Baseball came out and I was hooked on that. I joined group breaks. I was on forums at 12 years old, joining group breaks through PayPal. And, you know, if a kid was doing that now, it'd be kind of shocking that, you know, a kid could pull that off at 12 years old with PayPal and, you know, all that stuff. So it was 07, you know, I remember my first trade, I traded someone a car and I shipped it plain white envelope because, you know, you're 12 years old, you don't know really what, how to ship a bubble mailer, you know, so, and then 09, I was more into baseball. I didn't really go into basketball until about 2010 when like Blake Griffin was the guy and, you know, chasing Blake Griffin and, you know, it, the retail, there was retail craze back then for you know, products for Blake Griffin and Steven Strasburg. And then the next year it was Harper. And, you know, it just never really like ended. But the stuff we see today is like magnified so much more where you can't even find product. But so I started out, I would go to the, I had a card store luckily down the street from my house. So I could always walk there or drive just right around the corner, you know, picking up packs. That's what I mainly did. Like I would open up packs. I wouldn't really go for singles at that time and, you know, just building up a collection and researching and do a lot of reading, you know, Beckett Sports Monthly and Tough Stuff. Those were out in the supermarkets and bookstores. And then you get those books. And then eventually you look into Baseball America. They had the newspaper prints and those were always great reads. And, you know, every you just, it's kind of like a little ladder where you step up, you get antiquated with, you know, stuff you see and then then you do research and you see more and you just kind of like get a whole different perspective as you I guess evolve in like the collecting world so currently today I grade so many I don't grade them myself but like that's what I kind of do actually I do kind of grade them myself because I'm kind of hard on the cards that I send in you know so I'm sending like 300 cards a week and I'm buying on eBay I'm buying on Amazon I actually sell cards on Amazon because you know, you got to look for cards where people aren't really looking for because there's so many more eyes in the hobby now compared to back then. You got to find different ways to get what you need to, you know, keep things sustainable. Yeah. So that's incredible. Man, you brought me back with just the tough stuff call out. And uh, I'm glad I don't have a LCS or around the corner because I'd be broke buying yeah. hobby boxes at this point. But I think something that stood out to me that you said is you're, you're harsh when you're buying raw cards, you're sending in 300, you're harsh on the grading. I think that's something that just the more you look at cards and the more you, you know, are able to monitor, you know, the corner centering what, uh, you know, a PSA is looking for, you, you get better. And that's something that's kind of like practice. When you're getting cards in the mail for submission, what are the steps that you're going through? Yeah, exactly. So first, you know, in like a main like point of view is whenever I get cards, I want to be tough on them because I want to like be that grader that gets the package. And, you know, I want to be the guy like, I don't want to throw money out the window and sending in cards just to send them in. Cause that's, there's no point to that. So things that I tend to do to like mitigate, like getting low grade cards is that there's this sites like ComC and you have eBay that have the high resolution photos so first thing off the bat, you can kind of eyeball the centering and, you know, you can check PSA 10s and PSA 9s and see, you know, what kind of centering is which. So once you get like that kind of formed in your mind, like, okay, that's what a PSA 10 center looks like. Let me cater to those types of cards that look like that, even though PSA with the centering, it could be 60-40 and all that stuff. But if you go off eye appeal, you, you'll generally do well. So you want to look for the centering. This is, I'll talk about stuff that you don't really have in hand first, because a lot of the buying right now, especially with COVID, is 
through the internet where, you know, you don't have the cards in front of you. And, you know, you can only go to a card store, basically, especially in the Northeast region. There's no shows. I know where you guys in the Midwest, you can, you know, you'll have shows and, you know, you can see cards. But if you're just stuck with buying online, you can look at the centering. You can also tell edges to some degree and obviously the corners. So I normally look for the centering and then the corners because you really can't judge the surface through photos because people can use light rays to, you know, let's see. We've all been there. (laughs) We've all got those cards that just said, mother, you know, we've all been there. That's that to me is like, I buy a lot of cards just, you know, over digitally. And no matter how many times I look at the damn thing, I get it back and, you know, it's the surface issues that are the things that you can't detect is the pain. Yeah, you, you know, like even like some cards, I mean, I could understand why someone would sell them and not really tell because another process that I would say when you like grade your cards, you want to have very good lighting so that you can tilt and maneuver the card and look all around the card and kind of like put yourself, like I said, like in like a grading, a grader's conditions that he's in at his desk. You know, you've got a lamp, you got it tilted and you have a workspace where you can kind of, you know, examine a card in like a couple, they don't even have a couple minutes, probably less than a minute. And, you know, if it's not good, you know, you can always just sell that card and just buy it again. And if you're really looking to get the card grade, which I would suggest if you pull anything out of a pack and it looks good, I would either save it to be graded or send it out to be graded because I would suggest that, especially now, I don't know if you saw, but PSA came out with Today, there's a press release. They're I just coming out saw with it. The, just saw like a robotic it. feature in like the early discovery phases of uh, submitting to PSA. So, you know, if you can get cards out and they're going to be turning them out faster and stuff, you know, you could, there's no point of selling it to someone if you think it'll grade high. Totally. Yeah. I just got that email. So I sent a submission in last week. Okay. And it was on a Monday and I got an email on Friday already that the cards had been received and they were in the system, which I was astonished by. And then oh, that's amazing. And then I looked on the site and they were already in the grading phase. And this is like literally it was a, an economy shipment of a forty three cards, and it, they were already in the, the process of go, like being graded. Where I have several bulk orders in there that are in the research phase, and they've been there for a month, so. I don't know if you have any perspective. It almost feels like, you know, shooting into the wind when I send stuff there. Some stuff moves, some stuff doesn't. Do you have any perspective from your experience on getting cards back at a certain time? Is that built into your process or is it just kind of a crapshoot? So I do keep into account, like I do have like a, I know I post stuff on Instagram when I have like the dates that I sent them in and I kind of do that. You know, instead of like going through their kind of site, I kind of have my own kind of way of tracking like each order. So I'll know like, okay, my 20 days are taking two months, my 45 days, three months, maybe. And, you know, I'll kind of forecast as best as I could. It's it's tough in this climate, the hobby changing so much daily now that, you know, if I send in this card, then, okay, I got to be ready to pay for it in three months. And I would say that I think they're doing a better job ever since they shut down and they opened back up. They definitely did a lot of good new hiring. And one thing that I did notice is that the pre-2017 cards, I don't think things called ultra modern is Mm -hmm. the 2017 and newer, but those, I really haven't gotten any of those cards back, but everything 2017 and newer I've gotten back, you know, timely and it's been terrible before. I know last year around the national, my 45 day PSA was about three to five months and they, they just got bogged down last year. And I don't think it's going to get to that point again, but it's good that they're introducing new people to be, I don't know if they're going to be graders or they're going to help in you know different stages of the company, but I think they're very proactive in hiring people and you know, getting the message out, especially to collectors that they're hiring people and that they're going to get serviced pretty much like they've gotten before. And, you know, you're seeing Beckett raise prices and people would send to group submitters. And now those group submitters have basically not taken anybody new or not taking any submissions to send to Beckett. So 
I think PSA is in the lane that, you know, it should be in. And I think PSA deserves where it is right now. And it's based in the hobby because I think newer people are going to see a 10, a Gem Mint 10, which is PSA's highest grade. And they want that card as opposed to a BGS 9.5 where, you know, they could assume it's flawed. It's, you know, because the 0.5 difference, but anytime you could just see a perfect 10, you know, I'll take a perfect 10 over a nine and a half. Yeah, I think everybody listening is with you on that one. And if you think about just, you know, big cards like, you know, LeBron, Chrome, rookie card, it's like that is one of the cards. And when you think about having the card like that, you think about that in the PSA 10. You don't think about that in the BGS 9.5. So I think for me, I try to, SGC isn't there for me. I do not, I'm not, not, not hating on it. It's just not there for me right now where I'm at in the hobby. But I do tend to try to split some submissions between PSA and BGS. However, I lean more heavily on PSA just based on it. To me, it just feels like that's the standard. And I know that that's, people can argue that. But I think I've observed that you lean a little bit more towards PSA, I believe. Do you have any specific reasons why you like the PSA graded cards over everything else? I would like there to be a third company. I know like SGC's out there, but I, I agree. I don't think they're at the same level or I don't think they even have the possibility of, you know, even matching Beckett, in my opinion, because I just just don't feel like they're the company to take over that third spot. It would be nice so it could have shift demand, you know, we could send into PSA and people could send into Beckett and, you know, not have the long wait times. But the reason I choose PSA is because the pricing is so affordable. Even when you get a nine, you can make a lot of money. And I've started to take into account, you know, the past month and a half that these cards I've kind of pre-graded on my own that I've been sending in, I've been keeping back the ones that I feel May 9. And now those PSA 9s are substantially more than they were before. So you have a grading cost of, just say at the most, $13, plus the, say, a Tyler Hero Prism Rookie, which is now around 20. And you now you could have gotten them as low as five. So just figure about $10 you're into grading in the card for 23. And if you just get a nine on its own, you're looking at 45 to $55 on that card. So I just think there's more upside in grading to PSA over, you know, almost anyone, because even if you sent that to Beckett, you're going to wait three to five months because you're not going to send that in a 10 day or five day. You're going to send that in a 30 day, which is three to five months. And that's, I think it's $40. I want 30 to $40 at the moment. So if you can just spend $13 and wait three months and get it back, you know, you're just lowering your cost. And, you know, Tyler Heroes in the playoffs. And that card just has so much more room and to grow. So I definitely would send to PSA. And I do send stuff to Beckett. I, I would say most of the stuff I sent to Beckett is because I came into the hobby through Bowman Chrome Autos. And I just prefer a Bowman Chrome Auto, like with a 9.5, with a 10 Auto. But that's just me. So that's, that's the type of stuff I would send to Beckett just because I just feel Bowman Chrome is like a, you know, I want to see it in a 9.5.10. Totally. And I think you've said something there about Tyler Hero and just looking through your photos of on your Instagram account. I think I gravitate towards your account because the guys you are buying and the volume, we have very similar mindsets on some of the purchases and subs. You're my, my, I, like, I could look at one of your pictures and it, it could remind me of a submission that I'm currently doing. And I think part of that is, you know, there's a big element of the prospecting into players where you're, you know, anticipating bumps in value or guys like I see you have, uh, you submitted and you've got the revolution shake Milton that you're subbing probably because you learned that Ben Simmons was going to be the four and shake was going to move at the point guard and the Sixers were going to be in the playoffs. So what I'm curious, just like, what is your process for, prospecting into these guys to get them ready to be and make it to the point where you've, you know, gone through your process of observing the cards and you're finally saying, all right, this is worth the investment to go submit them. Can you talk to me about how you do that? So I normally start with like checklists. So I'll I'll start with ComC because you can just easily navigate that website. There's other websites out there. They're kind of 
you know, I don't know when they were formed, but like in the early 2000s and like they're harder to navigate. So you can start going through players. And I think it'd be better if I speak through past experience than right now because of how the market is. And yeah, you could like look at 20, say 2019, 20 optic. And you could see like Tyler Hero, I don't hate giving Tyler example, but let's do like RJ Barrett, like his, his optic was like $5. And you could see his prisms be like 15, even at the most like 15. And just like the values kind of didn't add up when, you know, you could assume that, you know, optics a harder grade and prism, you know, more people grade a prism than optics. So you kind of like want to do like forecasting for like the future. So as more people would, I figure that more people buy prism, then there'll be like a trickle down effect to optic and then select. So what I'll do is I'll buy some of each from each set. I'll look into optic and select and prism. And now with how the hobby is now, I'm looking into other sets like NBA hoops. So where you can get, say, Lonnie Walker, you can get tons of Lonnie Walker NBA hoops for a dollar. Or do you want to spend $10 on his prism if you're not really comfortable with the risk of, you know, buying in at $10 on a prism, just buy 10 NBA hoops. And, you know, the, obviously the pop report on the hoops is going to be low and the prism is going to be high and you never know how demand could shift. We saw before that Gary V mentioned the Luca hoops and everybody was so hyper-focused on the prism that the NBA hoops, you know, the pop report was so low and that card rose from like $70 to 200 Now I think it's probably nearly 350 So if you can just like forecast on guys that you like and guys that you see potential in, eventually the prices will gravitate upwards because all the other products are going upwards. And most of the guys that I've seen, it's kind of that effect, even if they're not currently playing right now, like Kobe White, he hasn't played in a while and, you know, his prices still are going up. And then you have guys like Aaron Holiday and Troy Brown, where they were playing in the season, you know, and then the season falls off and nobody's really looking for Aaron Holiday and Troy Brown, you know. You could get those cards so cheap and even like Prism and Optic and Select, you know, you can just amass a whole bunch of them if you're comfortable with just taking the risk on guys and having kind of like a portfolio of each guy. So that when, you know, Troy Brown's playing major minutes now and Aaron Holiday's playing major minutes now, you could honestly, you could sell off the cards that you don't feel are grade worthy, get that money and it pays for your raw cards that you compiled. And you can put money towards a PSA submission of those cards if you feel that next year that they're ready to play some more. Totally. Yeah. Um, and all the listeners, I'm glad you brought up Aaron Holiday. All the listeners know I'm an Indianapolis guy and think very highly of him. But yeah, it's to your point to validate that in during COVID in April, I was looking back on it because Holiday is playing minutes now and I'm watching the Pacers just every game. And I was buying his silver. And there was a moment in April when I was buying his PSA 10 silver prism. And I was looking back on my sheet and I was buying them for 23 bucks a pop. And which is insane. Now, I think the last I looked, they're going for 90. So I think what I'm hearing you say is that it just takes a little bit of forecasting. It takes a little bit of work. It seems like the hobby, especially now, is so reactive and so focused on TJ Warren having a 53-point game. Now his cards are moving from $2 to you know $35 overnight. But so it just takes the mindset of just, you know, digging in, doing some homework, understanding situations. And then if you feel really good about a player, even if they're not playing or if it's the off season, buy them up low because there's a chance that based on your instincts and doing it for quite some time, those will be the types of cards that you'll want to submit and then could see, you know, two, three, even maybe five X return when those players hit the floor and they're having productive games or productive seasons. Does that sound about right? Yeah, I would definitely say that. And, you know, it even can transcend like beyond basketball. I'll give another basketball example and then, you know, I'll give a couple other ones. But for basketball, the Toronto Raptors today, they did amazing against the Miami Heat. I don't know the outcome of that game, but Fred Van Vliet, he had like over 30 points. And, you know, I know he doesn't have a rookie card, but you can just go buy his first Prism card. And I just feel like cards like that, if you're able to identify a card where, you know, people aren't really out there looking for, but 
there certainly is demand for a guy that performs all the time. You know, that card deserves to be up more. It doesn't have the rookie logo on it, but it's basically his first kind of card. And along the same lines of thinking, there's, I know this is, it's not her first card because they have tennis cards of older sets, but Serena Williams has a, like a 2008 Tops Allen and Ginter. And, you know, she's basically the face for all kind of women's sports. And that card is so low. And, you know, she transcends, she just transcends sports. You know, Virgil Abloh, the off-white designer, you know, he made shoes for her and those became part of the off-white collection. And, you know, she kind of like an inspiration to a lot of women and a lot of sports people. And I just feel that the hobby is in a different place where, you know, cards like that, they're not really like, People aren't really out there asking for Serena Williams cards from Allen and Ginter, but you know, no, it's like her first tops card, and you know, it kind of can resonate with people that you know, it's not just only basketball cards that can like make a move and like have people come in from like the outside because you don't really. The one thing I would talk about is that you don't really, you kind of need to act like a new person in the hobby where. You know, if you you learn about prism, you learn about base and silver, you don't really learn about colors. So that's why we see like the prices where base, the base PSA 10 is worth so much now and the silver PSA 10 is so much now because when these newer people are coming into the hobby, they just know base and silver. They don't know that there's a contender's optic. They don't know that there's select premium or select courtside, which I feel was undervalued for the longest time. And just like certain, you know, as you get into the hobby, you'll realize that there's more out there than just base and silver. Totally. I love that perspective. And I think for me, it's moving past that, right? When I jumped back in, it was buying the base prisms. And now I'm finding myself like with the Jason Tatum, for instance, I think I bought it for 205 in March, the base prism PSA 10. And now it's, you know, 800, $850, (laughs) which is nuts. And now I'm like, I'm trying to upgrade my, I'm trying to tighten my belt and focus my PC on a few players. Jason Tatum rules and he's an amazing player, but he's just not a part of that. So now for me, it's like, how can I not justify selling this Jason Tatum card to get some money that I can go pump into maybe a Luca or a John Morant that I am collecting? So I am very aware now and my mindset is very, I want serial number cards. I want them. So select serial number cards are incredible. Like I feel like the market isn't quite there, like the tricolor cards and like those to me, like from a PC perspective are just really cool and unique. And I feel like I gravitate to those cards because I don't anticipate it anytime soon. But if the bubble were to burst, I feel like having serial numbered cards of players that you believe in are maybe a protection opposed to cards that are base and their pops really high. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I would agree that, you know, you kind of want to be doing both. So what I've been doing is kind of catering to the newer people by buying large amounts of base and silver and using that as, you know, like a vehicle for, you know, to mm-hmm. drive like everything. So where okay, I can sell, I can sell those when I get them back. I don't have any attachment to base cards or as like the PSA 10s. Like I don't have the attachment to them unless it's like, I'll keep some cards as like PSA 10s because I feel like they're not valued where they should be with this hobby as a PSA 10. But, you know, I'll use base and silver as like a vehicle to fund serial numbered cards and low prints like court sides because... Once those dry up, like you can't really, you can't find a Shea Gilgis Alexander courtside on eBay now. You could find a whole bunch of them earlier, but you know, as like people will realize the rarity, not just in like pop reports, but of like the card itself and how difficult it is to pull out of a pack. And now the products are rising and no one's really opening up. Well, they probably are, but no one's really opening up select, you know, and they're not putting like a raw uh zion courtside they're going to grade that card so you can't really go out there and find that card so when you can use base and silver cards to fund serial numbered cards especially of guys in demand it's well worth it i love it and that's that's exactly my mindset so for i'm glad that you've helped me validate that in this conversation i want to kind of close this conversation out by talking about selling and sales process but I do want to update you because I was curious too. The Raptors beat the Heat. And I'll tell you what, man, the Raptors, 
everyone's counting these guys out, but they just, that backcourt, you just can't count them out. They're just so tough. So I feel like I had bought, I mean, probably you, this one probably put a smile on your face, but I had an episode of, you know, s- several weeks ago where I was forecasting cards in the NBA playoffs and my finals was the classic Lakers Boston matchup. Uh, just cause I love Brad Stevens in Boston so deep, but man, the, the Raptors are just, they have a chip on their shoulder and they are not, they've come out to play quite strong. I don't know about that team is just, they're just tough, you know? Yeah, I agree that they never, they never just lay down. They always, they'll come back and they'll fight all the time. Totally. So I think one thing I've learned is just the attachment thing and these cards that I've bought and these players to know when to let go. And I think one of the things that I'm trying to tell myself is don't be greedy. Like if you're seeing like the jump and me buying the Tatum to what it is now, like it's probably best to not wait for a moment in time, like the Celtics going to the finals and just don't be greedy and just sell the cards when you're going to get, you know, the 4X return on it. What is your process when you're getting cards back from PSA? Are you immediately thinking about trying to sell a majority of those because you're trying to fund more submissions and maybe other cards in your PC? Or is it something different? Are you evaluating your subs that come back differently from a sales perspective? So when I get cards, so generally I get the results and then like they'll ship. And so I try to use that time as kind of like a game plan. And I'll, for the most part, I'll keep most of the tens because I'll have about, I say, a hundred cards a week come back. We'll just say that. And what I'll do is I'll look at the PSA nines and I'll decipher, okay, do I want to try this card again? Do I want to consign it? Or do I just want to hold it because I feel like that card could go up? Like an example, like a LeBron James Lakers this year. Prism PSA 9, which was like $50 last week. It's now like over 100 today. So what I'll do generally is I'll keep the 10s because I'll eventually sell them, but I probably wouldn't now. So I would sell the PSA 9s that I figure are doing well and that I have plenty quantity of and plenty quantity coming back. So I'll send those to a consignment service and I'll get 85 to 90% back and they'll do all that work for me and I don't have to worry about returns, which I feel is the best. I would gladly give up that percentage just for not dealing with returns because you can, you'll plan for the future and then you'll just get a claim that, you know, you got a card that someone wants to send back because they didn't like it and eBay will let them do that. So, you know, it's easier to just... I know PSA 9s are gaining value, but if you can sell those off and use that money to offset a grading bill, that's just less money of your own that you got to put out and you can pay that grading bill with your PSA 9s. And I just feel that's the best. I think that's one of the best opportunities of PSA where when you have cards that don't 10, you have cards that 9, but the cards that 9 can pay for your 10s. It allows you to keep the 10s for as long as you want. Totally. I love that. And you are... I'm glad this is what you are describing what I am trying to do right now. I just put a uh, Zion PSA nine, a green prism on eBay. That's a nine. I just put a Tatum that's a nine on eBay. And I did that because I'm trying to get into a process where money I'm getting from these nines, I can just go towards the PSA grade. And I just think about it like the big thing is just the patience element of just like, hey, just have patience these cards come back, your the amount of return you're going to have from that is going to be substantial. And I think with the mindset of a lot of people in the hobby, everyone wants that immediate gratification, whether it's a player scoring 50 points like TJ Warren and then going finding the card and selling it or, um, you know, just responding to everything that's happening. So I think what I hear you say is just, you know, don't detect, don't attach yourself with some of the nines that you have, even if they're of great players and great cards, but use that money that can go help fund your submissions where then on the backside of that, you're going to get several tens and a lot of other nines to keep your process rolling. Yeah, exactly. That's how I mainly do everything. And, you know, I have a large, you know, you kind of need, you're doing it my volume, you need kind of like space to do that. And you got to like plan things out. I'm pretty good at planning. I do it all the time. So if you kind of just stay on like the same path of same path that you kind of like set forth and you follow that, you'll hold yourself to that standard where, okay, this is a nine, you know, I'll use that money and that'll give me money back to buy more cards. 
that I can then make money by either grading or flipping. And, you know, that's a lot better than just holding the nine and hoping the nine becomes something in a couple of weeks. Totally. And that uh, you talked about the LeBron prism. I made a, it was wild. Literally today, I looked at it for the first time. I had bought a LeBron silver prism BGS 9.5 for 385 a couple weeks ago. And I just, I, I saw the PSA 10 is going for 1100 now, which is absolutely insane. And then I, you referenced the base cards, the base cards are going nuts. And I think, of course, right, the market, of course, the playoffs, of course, people are going to be just pumping money into LeBron right now. So it's just, it's a really wild ride that we're on. And I think there's opportunity to be made and watching the NBA and selling off cards in real time. But I think the safer bet and the more secure way for people that are want to be in the hobby for a long term is starting to invest in a the grading process and the submission process and building out a plan. And I got to tell you, like, I'm sure you do it all the time. Your volume is higher than mine. But like, I have a lot of fun when I'm like, all right, it's Thursday night. I'm going to go sit and I'm going to prepare cards for submission and try to like be the critic of these cards. And it's just, you start to remember cards you bought and those obviously change as sports happen and cards of Cameron Johnson are all of a sudden (laughs) valuable. So I think like to me, like it's that connection with sports and connection with cards. It's an evolution and just this, the grading and submission process it's a fun part of it. It can be frustrating, but if you stick to it, you can make money that will help fund everything you're doing. Yeah, I definitely agree. If you stick to like a regimen and you know, you'll slowly become the grader basically, and you'll be hard on your cards and you'll, you'll say, okay, this could nine, maybe I'll send it some other time, but I'll send this one now and you'll just begin to slowly develop a, a, you know, a process. And I think that's one of the fun parts where you can you know, start a process and then you'll go through it and then you can identify something wrong and then you can enhance that, you know, something you did wrong and then you can just turn it into something that, you know, propels you to like the next level. At one point you weren't looking into Dunrus Optic, but now you are because you're kind of priced out of the prism. But now you see that Dunrus Optic, you know, it's a nice set, nice photography and it's low pop and there's demand for it. And anytime you can evolve your own thinking or your own process that always helps you for the next card or like the next set that comes out where you can kind of forecast where you can say, all right, I think, for example, football, Joe Burrow, prison might be worth something. Maybe I should just wait until optic comes out and just buy his optic now and pay whatever they are. Totally, totally. Before I let you off the hook, Give me, based on what you've seen so far, I know it's a small sample size, give me your, and I'm almost debating if I should allow you to do this or not. I'll keep it in. Just, you get the whole field. Tell me who the NBA Finals is going to be, who's your pick, and then who's going to win it. And if you want to add who's the Finals MVP just for fun, that'll be, that. then we'll close this thing out. I would definitely go Lakers, and it's tough with the East. <laughs> Anyone could come out. I'm going to say something probably not many people say. I think the Miami Heat could. The Miami Heat or the Toronto Raptors, I think that was a great game. And I just don't think the Celtics are going to, you know, turn it on like that. And I don't think that the Bucs, you know, they have some guys that are out. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I know it's Giannis, but I think if you put Bam on him, he could do well. But if it's, I still think it's the Lakers over anyone. Yeah, LeBron, LeBron, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of all set up for the Lakers pretty much. But the East, you know, it could be a whole bunch of teams. And, you know, it kind of sucks that, you know, the home and the away element is gone. So it's kind of everybody, it's all neutral. I mean, it's great that sports are back, but, like, you know, you can't really have like the home and the away back and forth. But I totally. think it's all set up for the Lakers and LeBron to win. Yeah, I think that's how I feel. And I think with the no home court element, I think the Heat, man, they are a deep, deep team and they're well coached. And they're just, that's a team that it looks like the Pacers might be forecasted to play and they're just tough. So I agree with you there. Before you go, where can people find you on Instagram and TikTok? And then also, if you want to plug your eBay store or anything else, be my guest. All right, everyone. I'm on Instagram and TikTok at New England Pieces. 
I really don't do much eBay, honestly. I I send to a consigner and, you know, I'm very active on Instagram and TikTok. I make it a priority to respond to everyone. I know sometimes people ask, what are you buying and all that stuff? You honestly could see what I'm buying because I post, you know, (laughs) I post what I send into PSA almost every, I do post every week basically so I can have my own accounting and see that, okay, I have this card out at that date and it's all like attached. So if you want to see what I'm buying, just, just see what I'm submitting to PSA and that's pretty much all there. And I do show it on TikTok. I show a lot of stuff on TikTok that I don't show on uh, Instagram as far as cards because I save like Instagram for like highlight pieces. And, you know, when I get like a large assortment of cards in of like one guy, I'll post that picture. But TikTok, I generally like show, you know, like the behind the scenes of like my Instagram page and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm very active on both and I'll always get back to people. Totally. Go check out Nick on TikTok and Instagram. Um, This was certainly fun. I learned a ton. Thank you so much, Nick. Go follow uh, New England Pieces. And hopefully we can, uh, once these playoffs are over, we'll get back and get you back on Stacking Slabs and we can talk hoops and uh, cards a little more. I'd love to. Thank you very much for having me, Brett. And I hope the audience, you know, they got some learning points as well. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. I got to be honest and tell you one thing. I know you all learned a ton. I learned a ton too. And Nick helped validate some stuff I was doing. So that's totally cool. Go check out his TikTok account and look at the gorgeous view that he is opening cards up at and doing mail days. I am very, very jealous of his home location. It is super cool. So go check it out and go hit follow on his TikTok and go hit follow on his Instagram if you haven't already. Hit follow on Stacking Slabs. Don't forget to do that. Hit that subscribe button. Leave that five-star review if you think I'm worth it. I do appreciate that. Make sure you take care of yourself, take care of your family and everyone around you. Happy investing, happy collecting. Have a great weekend and we'll talk to you real soon.